The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by Remrise, the modern sleep care brand that combines the best of Eastern and Western practices to present a holistic sleep solution to help improve sleep over time. I'll be back after our first story tonight to tell you a little bit more about our friends at Remrise, including a special offer they have for those of you listening in tonight. Until then, go ahead and make sure your doors are locked and check to make sure your closet doors are shut like they ought to be. That way, you'll have some warning when they creak open later while you're sound asleep. (laughs) Stay tuned. The show's about to begin. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? 
<laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 22. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. In tonight's episode, we'll be celebrating the Christmas season with a collection of festive holiday-inspired stories that are sure to keep on giving nightmares, that is. <laughs> I'll be performing five stories for you about unexpected storms, grisly gifts, perilous presents, sickening Santas, and holiday hallucinations. You're listening to the Standard Edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take the walk down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, settle in, and the show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author C.L. McClendon. In it, our protagonist gets a long-overdue taste of the winter flurries, but the novelty of a winter wonderland wears off when it becomes clear something is very, very wrong. Without further ado, I present to you White Christmas. Living in lower Alabama, we rarely received snow. I spent most of my life wishing for a white Christmas, a white Christmas that never came. I've only seen snow twice in my 33 years here. I always wanted to share that with my two boys. I just knew that they'd love to play in it. Now I find myself staring out the window at the mounds of that icy precipitation surrounding my home, regretting every wish I ever made for a snow-covered Christmas. When I think about it, it really started in summer. Our summers are always hot and extremely humid, but that year it was even more unbearable. We steadily saw temperatures of well over 100 degrees, and everyone I knew begged for relief. The heat wave lasted all the way until the week before Halloween. Then suddenly, a massive hurricane spawned in the Gulf of Mexico. The weather forecaster for our local news frequently referred to it as a monster. Looking back, I believe it was more of a demon. A demon that brought hell with it. But a much different one than I had read about in the Bible. The storm passed, leaving devastation for miles around. It had affected every state within the southeast but Florida, most of all. Help was sent from various utility companies, government aid agencies, and even regular citizens to help with the relief. And when I say various, I mean from every state in our region. It was amazing to see the effort put forth to help the people that had lost everything. I'm sure a lot of us thought that was the worst it could get. I wish that had been true. But that was when the rain started. As November came, we felt the first droplets in our tiny town. 
It was an odd occurrence, but not odd enough to raise any eyebrows. I mean, how bad could a couple of days of rain be, right? The problem came when days turned into weeks, and low-lying areas became flooded. Homes and towns nearby were washed away in a matter of hours, once the levees broke. My wife, Susan, constantly thanked God that our house was nestled on a high elevation among trees. I was thinking the same thing, but God had nothing to do with what happened. No God I could ever believe in any way. The week of Thanksgiving, the rain finally subsided, and I'm sure that was something everyone would say they were thankful for. The problem was, what remained was the cold. That, in itself, was not strange, but the severity of it was. We saw temperatures close to freezing for the following week, and that was something we rarely saw until late January or early November. My oldest son, Jacob, began singing that silly song by Bing Crosby. My wife beamed at the thought of them seeing snow on Christmas Day. The foolish child in me felt the same. Boys will finally get to see snow, Paul. Susan squealed. I know. I can't wait to see Tommy waddling in it. I responded. Those words ring in my head, even now. I have to fight back tears when I think of just how stupid I'd been. We were so preoccupied with setting up decorations and buying presents that we were oblivious to what was happening all around us. The snow actually started falling the first week of December. It was up several inches within the first day. It was amazing to see at first, but when it kept coming, some people became worried. If you've never been in the South when it snows, you probably wouldn't understand. You see, we're not prepared for that kind of weather. Everything shuts down. People stay home and rarely go out driving. I know it sounds ridiculous to anyone else, but that is what happens. It just kept coming. My wife and I had let the boys play in the fresh powder originally, but when it had gotten so high that I could barely walk in it freely, we decided it was best to keep them indoors. Hardware stores had started bringing in snow shovels to help clear paths, something you rarely found in our town. I bought one of the last ones on the shelf as people scrambled to manage the icy foreign invader. The situation seemed to become worse as small flurries became near blizzards. My wife stayed glued to the news and weather broadcasts. It appeared the northern states had almost been buried in the frigid powder. The president had actually issued a state of emergency, urging people in the northern portion to evacuate south. That was when I finally started to be concerned. These people had been told to come south, but our situation was hardly any better. The weatherman stopped trying to be accurate. His predictions of an end to the badness never came. The temperatures continued to drop, and it was not long before we saw them go from zero to negative digits. It was unheard of in my state, for it to be that cold, and people were getting afraid. Plumbing fixtures began to burst from frozen pipes, 
and people were left without water until they could thaw. Our world had become a freezer in a few weeks, and none of us were prepared for it. My family found themselves wearing our thickest clothing, even inside. It felt like no matter how high I set the thermostat, it wasn't enough. But we should have left then. By Christmas, we had no power, and utility companies had stopped trying to traverse the harsh conditions to repair downed lines. Local officials had abandoned emergency protocols to save themselves. We began hearing rumors of our neighbors attempting to head further south into Florida. Susan suggested the same, but I reminded her of the destruction still left from the hurricane. I was afraid we would be worse off without shelter, so I made the decision to hunker down in our home. I cleared a path to the fireplace, but that had only been used for decoration, and set to the task of setting a fire going. If it was not such a dire situation, my wife would have found amusement in me attempting something like that. I had never even seen someone use a fireplace, let alone light one. After several attempts, we were able to burn what little wood that was readily available near our home. My family and I huddled around it as if it were going to save us from the fate that waited outside. The whiteness had engulfed our home. The mounds had risen above the windows, breaking some of them. I was forced to reinforce each one to keep the cold out. We sealed every crack or crevice that could possibly let out the heat and tried to remain together. My wife wrapped our children in blankets and pulled them close. The boys didn't understand, and we were afraid to tell them how serious the situation was. The fear that rested on my wife's face was enough to keep me from ruining what could be our last Christmas. We still attempted to have a big dinner, despite our ability to effectively cook. I also learned how to cook with a fireplace for the first time. It would have been an interesting experiment if it had not been essential for our survival at the time. We gave up on the idea of turkey or ham, but we had always had a decent stock of canned food. It was a habit I'd picked up from my grandparents. I often wondered how they were faring during all this, but I had my immediate family to worry about. Our world had been plunged into an endless sea of white. I even had nightmares of the stuff that that Christmas Eve. My children normally woke me early on Christmas morning, but when my eyes fluttered open, I assumed it was still night. The house was so dark that I could barely see my wife lying next to me. I slowly rose from my bed, still completely clothed, and nudged Susan awake. The house had become far colder than it should have been, and I immediately headed for the fireplace. The fire had gone out at some point, so I ran for the back door, pulling on my boots. My aim was to gather more wood to get the fire going again, but as soon as the door cracked open, I was pelted with a mixture of snow and ice. It stung my face, and I cursed at the door while trying to shut it again. Our home had been buried in the vicious powder, and I finally understood why no light permeated the windows. My watch read nine o'clock, but it felt much earlier. Susan stumbled into the living room, asking what I was doing. 
I told her what time it was, and confusion filled her eyes. She went for the window and was greeted with what I already knew. I don't remember ever seeing her quite so afraid, and the feeling was mutual. I buried my emotions down, though, knowing I had to be strong for my family. I told her to go check on the kids while I tried to get the fire going again. She disappeared down the hall, and I made my way to the dining room. The table and chairs had been passed down through my family for generations, but I knew it would have to be sacrificed. I set to dismantling the wooden chairs first, but was stopped by the sound of my wife's scream. I rushed through the hall, listening to the awful sound echo in my ears. I could feel tears forming in my eyes, but I pushed them back as I rounded the corner. She was grasping the door frame of our children's room. We had put them together so Jacob could help keep an eye on Tommy. I could see her body shaking as she stared into the room. Tears rolled over her cheeks as I turned to see inside. The window of their room had given to the weight of our captive, despite my attempt at strengthening it. Snow had buried the boys in the night, and that was when I noticed the flakes of white all over my wife's hands. Susan had attempted to uncover them, and I could see the pale blue skin of their faces huddled together in Jacob's bed. It would have been a sweet scene if it were not for their skin tone, something Susan would have taken a picture of, but this was not that scene. I pulled Susan away as I tried to hold back the sick feeling in my stomach. I felt as though I could release what little Christmas dinner I had in me on the floor at any moment. Soon, her sobs subsided, but when I looked into her eyes, she simply looked numb. I'd never seen her this way, and I tried to break her from this trance she seemed to be in, but she said nothing. Her eyes would not even turn my direction when I spoke. Something had broken inside Susan that morning, and I don't blame her. I sat her next to the fireplace and wrapped her in a blanket while I returned to the dining room. The polished wood did not want to burn, but I was determined to give us warmth, so I did not stop until we had fire. I made it a point to ask Susan to stay by the fire while I returned to the boys' room. I could not leave them that way, but when I reached the door I found myself pausing just outside. I felt the warm and salty specks across my cheeks before I even saw them. I slowly stepped inside and slid my gloves over my hands. I finished clearing away the snow and noticed why they had not simply come to our room. The wood I had used to seal off the window had struck my oldest first. It left a gash near his temple that would have knocked a grown man unconscious. I could only imagine his ten-year-old body had not lasted long after. Tommy had obviously woken after. His tiny form clung to his big brother like a teddy bear. I internally cursed myself for not putting them to bed with us that night, but I knew it was too late for that kind of thinking. I removed their bodies and wrapped them in blankets before placing them in the guest room. I took one final look at their tiny bedroom. 
place that held so much joy previously. I imagined the two of them playing and sometimes bickering. My lips tried to curl upward, but they could not. My eyes drooped to the floor as I turned away and shut the door. I've not returned to that room since, and I doubt I will. I just returned to the living room in hopes of comforting Susan, but when I got there, the blanket was all that remained by the fire. A quick search of the house revealed that the back door had been opened, and a tunnel had formed in the frigid wall on the other side, leaving the floor inside covered in snow. I tried to follow Susan's footsteps, but eventually they disappeared behind a solid wall of that cursed white. I could only imagine her frantically digging through it and the sound of what was above coming down upon her body. I tried to dig into it myself in search of her body, but the layer that remained was frozen solid. It was like digging my hands into cement. And I knew that Susan could not have survived it, even if my mind did not want to believe it at the time. I found myself picking at it with tools anyway feeling as though I had nothing left to do. I do not know how much I cried while working at that pointless task, but I do know it started to freeze to my cheeks. I didn't want to stop until my arms could not lift again, and that is when I sat among the snow and stared at what my world had become. I lost track of how long I sat there, or... When I decided to come back to the fire, I do remember when I started burning the Christmas gifts and how hard a choice that had been. I opened each one slowly and savored the idea of the children playing with it for the first time. I could even see Susan standing over them with her camera in hand. She would be giving her biggest smile and snapping away to save each memory. She loved taking pictures, but what I had to do did not need to be captured on any sort of film. I started to feel the numbness that night, that same numbness that overtook Susan earlier that day. It was as cold as the snow that surrounded me, and all I could think of was this had been my fault. I should have escaped with my family when I still had the chance. I don't know if it was pride, ignorance, or both, but the guilt was too much. It consumed me and took away everything this holiday was supposed to be about. I started writing this in hopes that someone reads it. I don't know what has happened to the rest of the world, only what has happened to me. I don't know how long I can survive here. My food's running low, and I have run out of things to burn. I can't even say for certain how long I've been here since my watch has stopped turning, and I still can't see the sun. I think I'll try to dig myself out tomorrow, and if you do find this, no, I did not simply give up. I just wish I had done this sooner. I'm so sorry, Susan, Jacob, Tommy. You deserve better than this. I hope you can forgive me. Sincerely, 
Paul Richardson. I hope you enjoyed White Christmas by author C.L. McClendon, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale, this one from author Derek Hawk, about the plans that Santa and his elves have for the boys and girls on his naughty list. If you are expecting coal, think again. Without further ado, I present to you Santa's Other Workshop. Perpetual darkness lingered at the top of the world. Thick ice, frigid air, and snow covered the lifeless mountainscape. However, the endless night did not go unchallenged. A single source of light illuminated the sky and drove back the darkness. Nestled between two snow-covered mountains, a little cottage sat with puffy, billowing smoke rising from its chimney. Ignoring the fact that the nearest civilization was thousands of miles away, to the casual eye, the house was simply a warm and welcoming home. Still, one might say to themselves, an odd thing to find such a bleak place. How could such a thing come to be? Like most things found in the North Pole, not everything is as it appears. The land was unforgiving and cruel, it could take your life within minutes. Only a select number of creatures were given permission to live in this harsh and relentless wilderness. All others who entered this domain did it of their own accord, such as the residents of this tiny little home. However, these individuals were like no other, and with a little bit of magic at their disposal, they lived happy and joyful lives. At first glance... It would appear it was nothing more than a simple, ordinary home inhabited by an elderly couple who loved each other dearly. If this was your conclusion, you would be mistaken. In reality, a magical secret existed below, for the small house was much more than meets the eye. The little house was not just a home, but the tip of a mystical workshop hidden beneath the ice. For centuries, children around the world found joy from the efforts of the hidden workshop. All year round, tiny magical hands toiled and labored to create toys and playthings for all the good children of the world. Elves, the last of the magical creatures from old, dwelt within its walls and used their mystical nature to create wondrous and joyful things for Christmas morning. Three days after the winter solstice, the old man would put on his heavy coat and boots, take to the air, and deliver his Christmas joy to every last child. Like everything in the cosmos, there must be balance. For every night, there must be a day. Every beginning has an end. And with every kind of child, there was a naughty little boy or girl to be found. Far below the bright lights, singing and happy elves, creating and building new and fantastic toys, there was another workshop. There, the warmth of the hearthstones could not reach. While the purpose of the upper workshop was to bring happiness, 
The other was dark and sterile. It, too, had a purpose. It was here where the masses of cheap and easily broken toys were made. There was no love put into these projects. Never would a child's eyes brighten with wonder and awe upon seeing these gifts on Christmas morning. In his wisdom, the old man knew that even a naughty child should not be forgotten during this time of goodwill. However, the old man was no fool and had no desire to waste his resources on such unsatisfying tasks. This responsibility was handed to the banished and exiled elves that inhabited the deepest bowels below the workshop. Those with selfish hearts and greedy desires, stripped of their immortality, they wasted away in the dark with only the trinkets and flimsy materials to pass the time. Ergra Eta sat in the poorly lit corner of a tattered workbench, his focus was entirely devoted to the old and worn piece of brass in his hands. The clangs of his hammer hitting metal rang out and echoed through the dark halls and passageways. He pounded the brass sheet relentlessly until the metal slowly began to surrender its shape and bend to Ergra's design. Suddenly the hammer flew out of the mad elf's gasp. He examined his limp hand trying to will it back into his control. Fury filled his heart as he watched the necrotic flesh sloughed off his bony hand. He didn't have much time. His other hand was weak, but still capable of grasp. He reached into his toolbox and removed a long warp nail and stabbed it into the back of his paralyzed hand. He pushed on the nail head until its tip broke through the skin and emerged through his palm. Immediately, the pain surged and shot up his arm. The thick and rigid tendons loosened within his hand, giving him temporary use of his digits once more. The elf picked up his hammer and resumed molding the shape of the brass plate. With each impact upon the brass, he poured his rage into his creation. How ironic that the product of his tireless work was meant for the ones he hated the most. His deteriorating body was fading fast. He possessed just enough magic to fuel the curse he would cast upon the object. When finished, his gift would be placed with the other junk toys and cheap trinkets. It would make its way to them and find a child on Christmas morning. The curse would take hold and slowly begin tearing apart their lives. It will channel their essence back to him and reignite his immortality. The object would pass from one child then to another century after century. He had just enough magic left to evoke the curse. Ergra had once lived and worked above. Like many other elves before him, he loved nothing more than to create beautiful and wondrous toys and gizmos. However, in his heart, he wished that he could keep some of his creations for himself. One day, his eyes fell upon a beautiful music box his friend Delayla had created. The music box was extraordinary, meant as a gift to a king's firstborn. 
It was magnificent. Crafted from oak wood, it bore an elaborate gold design on each of its sides. When opened, a figurine of three children danced hand in hand to a beautiful lullaby around a magnificent Christmas tree. Ergra Etta had never desired anything more in his entire life. It filled his heart with jealousy. He became resentful that this precious and rare treasure would go to an undeserving human infant. The little girl doesn't deserve it. It should go to him, he thought. So, under the cover of darkness, Ergra slipped into the work area and took the music box. Unable to sleep and anxious to put the finishing touches on his prized creation, Delayla decided to return to the workshop. To his surprise and shock, he caught the elf attempting to steal the special music box. Delayla was enraged for greed and thievery amongst elves, but was extremely offensive and not tolerated. Egra begged his friend not to report his transgression, but Delayla was unmoved by the pleas and turned to tell the others of Egra's crime. Desperate, Ergra did the only thing that was left for him to do. He grabbed a hammer and brought it down on his friend's head over and over again until no more life remained in the broken body. Despite his meticulous efforts to conceal his crime, he could not escape the sight and wisdom of the old man. Humiliated and dishonored, the elf was banished from the workshop and his precious music box was taken from him and given to the little princess. Stripped of his immortality, Ergra Eta was cast into the cold and dark corridors of the other workshop to spend his remaining days never to create a beautiful thing again. As the seasons passed, his hatred for all children grew and ate away at his sanity. He gritted his teeth knowing that the children of man were given everything, and he had nothing. Hunched over his work, Egra feverishly worked to complete his masterpiece. He stared down at the anvil and hammered down on the brass. Each strike brought the faces of a child into his mind. It lives in warmth. The blunt hammer formed the metal into a hollow cylinder. It stuffs its face with sweets and treats. Stumbly legs were welded into place. It gets everything it asks from Mummy and Daddy. A malformed head and crooked ears took shape. It gets everything its little heart desires. The brass surface was scrubbed of debris and grime. It gets everything it wants. Small turquoise stones were affixed to the brass body. I hate it. One glimmering red ruby stone was bound to the left side of the figurine's head. I hit it! Finally, a second red ruby was embedded into the surface on the face's other side. I hate them all! In the glow of the fire, Egra held up the brass figurine. It was a disturbing representation of a rabbit. Its body was a lattice of crisscrossed brass strips, bejeweled with a pale blue turquoise stone at each intersection. Its head was malformed and gave the impression of a dead thing instead of a pleasant rabbit full of life. 
He placed the atrocious thing upon an open silver locket that contained a mirror on each of the hinged inner sides. With the rabbit figurine facing one of the mirrors, he carefully opened a vial that held a clear fluid. It was lymph. The lymph from an elf was the source of magic that flowed through their bodies like that of blood from the second set of unique arteries found within its own circulatory system and pumped by a very special second heart. Only a few tiny drops fell out of the vial. It splashed onto the figurine in mirrored locket, illuminating them with a golden glow. Ergra closed his eyes and spoke the words of Wormwood in his elven tongue. A clear liquid turned black and stained the surface of both the rabbit statue and silver locket. The glow turned a deep purple, then slowly faded. Pleased with the outcome, he gently placed a cloth over the object without making eye contact to obscure it from sight, and ever so carefully placed it in a small box decorated with holiday cheer. Finished with his work, Ergra turned to leave, pushing past the corpses of several elves, hanging upside down from the support beams of the other workshop. Their lifeless bodies drained completely of every last drop of magical lymph from slit throats. Ergra's calculation had been correct. He had just enough magic to fuel the curse placed on the object. The mad elf smiled and began to laugh. For the first time in a very long time, Ergra Etra's heart filled with anticipation at the approach of Christmas morning. The little girl sat in a large pile of torn wrapping paper from the many gifts she found under the Christmas tree. On the morning of December 22nd, Gabby awoke earlier than everyone else. She went downstairs and glared at the many presents that continuously tempted her. It was as if they teased and mocked her every time she looked at the colorful and beautiful wrapping paper. She would receive such a terrible scolding from her parents, but she couldn't wait any longer. At first, it would only be one gift she opened. Then it became two, then another and another. Before she knew it, all of her presents had been opened. Despite getting everything she asked for, the desire for more still was not satisfied. When Gabby stood, a small gift next to the base of the Christmas tree caught her eye. She could have sworn it had not been there before. The wrapping paper was worn and yellowed with age. Written in big words was a tag that said, To Gabriella. It was like no other and she surely would have seen it before now. Puzzled, she removed the wrapping paper and found a box that contained a smaller sealed box and a scroll. She opened the scroll and read, Congratulations, lucky one. You're the proud owner of Pepe the Rabbit. Pepe loves you and will be your best friend in the whole world. Pepe is a friend like no other, and he will give you desires. To be Pepe's friend, you must listen to him and never disobey the following instructions. 1. Place Pepe on his locket facing the mirror. 2. Never look Pepe in the eyes. 
He is ever so bashful and only likes to see you through his mirror. Three. You may ask anything of Pepe three times. In three days' time, he will grant you any and all you have asked of him. Four. Never look Pepe in the eyes. It bears repeating. He does not like it and will be upset if you disobey this rule. Remember, lucky boy or girl, Pepe loves you. He loves you more than anyone else in the whole wide world. Pepe will make sure that no one will hurt you ever again. And if you love Pepe, you will listen to him and do whatever he asks of you. Pepe loves you, and no one can ever come between you and him. Pepe loves you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you enjoyed Santa's Other Workshop by author Derek Hawk, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another fear-inducing bit of fiction, this one from author R.D. Smithy, about a family that finds more under their Christmas tree than they were expecting in the form of a rather unusual gift. Before we proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Rimrise. Now... It's no secret. Some people have trouble falling asleep. Some people have trouble staying asleep. If you're one of the unlucky folks that suffers from fatigue, insomnia, and work-related stress, along with many other things, you might just have trouble with both. No matter which way you cut it, on average, 
People are getting less quality sleep than ever before. Now, I know this to be a fact because just after I had my recent knee joint replacement, one of the things that I found out was over about the next six to eight months, I'll be lucky if I get three hours sleep in one shot. It's kind of a uh, offshoot of the operation and just what it is. So, tackling sleep issues shouldn't feel impossible, but existing sleep aids aren't effective, and they make you groggy in the morning. That's why there's REMRISE. What I love most about REMRISE is that it's individualized. With REMRISE, you're not a statistic, popping pills from an assembly line, and lumped in with everyone else that can't sleep. REMRISE cares enough to ask you about the quality of your sleep, and about what specific sorts of things are keeping you from getting a good night's rest or getting up in the morning with some pep in your step. I also appreciate that they don't limit themselves strictly to Western remedies and go the extra mile to sustainably source ingredients from around the world because they're proven to work. This shows Director Craig, well, he's under a lot of pressure, raising three kids and running several shows, It's not unusual for him to be stressed out and overworked, and for that to take a toll on his sleep cycles. So, when Remrise asked us to give their products a try, I thought of him. And this last month, he had a chance to test everything out for himself and see what a difference it made. In just one week, Craig already noticed a difference. For the first time in what seemed like ages, he didn't need that cup of coffee right in the morning, It actually beat his kids getting out of bed. And he says he felt great that there was no groggy side effects or crash after the supplements wore off, because they don't. They work over time, the longer you take them, to keep improving your night's rest. And to hear Craig say it, it not only helped him get to bed more quickly and stay asleep longer, but helped him feel more refreshed after waking up. It wasn't uncommon for him to get a full eight hours sleep and feel like he'd gotten none. If you're in that boat, REMRISE can help you too. REMRISE is a personalized sleep solution that uses natural, plant-based formulas to help calm the mind, relax the body, and get your circadian rhythm back on track for a better, more restorative sleep. Like Craig said, it's drug-free, with no groggy side effects in the morning. All you have to do is to go get remrise.com slash told and take their free sleep quiz. Craig took the quiz and was classified as being under pressure. (laughs) Imagine that. That came as no surprise to him. And based on that sleep profile, Remrise recommended their At Ease product, a combination of herbs meant to help put both your mind and spirit at ease, so you can heal your body's ability to rest well. It's specifically intended to help those who have trouble staying asleep or who don't feel rested upon waking. And what can we say? Craig saw a huge difference, and so will you. And not only does REMRISE work, it comes with an awesome digital app that you can use to track your sleep progress. It even has guided meditation to help get you in the right mindset. Do what we did, and check out REMRISE today. 
Go to GetRimRise.com slash told, take their sleep quiz, and when you sign up, you'll get your first week of RemRise free. Just pay shipping. You won't find an offer like this anywhere else. Get your first week of RemRise for free when you sign up at GetRemRise.com slash told. GetRemRise.com slash told. Don't forget to use that URL to let them know that Otis Jiry sent you. And thank you so much for your time and for giving Remrise a try this month. Don't forget, your support of our sponsors helps support this program, and that means a lot to us. Now that we've given you the means to get a great night's sleep, courtesy of our friends at Remrise... Allow me to give you the heebie-jeebies with another sinister story. From author R.D. Smithy, I present to you Pretty Paper. One contrary wheel wobbled erratically as Thomas Moon pushed against the weighted shopping cart. He looked down at the mountain of Christmas presents and imagined his poor wallet gasping for air and fainting in a huff. He smiled as his wife, Christine, waddled up to the cart carrying what seemed to be enough rolls of wrapping paper to cover roughly two and a half football fields. Are you sure that's enough paper? He asked mockingly. There still might be a few trees left in the rainforest. Hardy har, she replied, a lopsided grin breaking across her face. She stuffed the wrapping paper rolls into the overburdened cart and leaned close to her husband's ear. "'Keep talking, funny man,' she whispered, "'and you might not get your special Christmas gift, "'one I got at that little store in the mall. "'You know, the one that sells all those lacy, skimpy things?' "'And shutting up now,' said Thomas, with a large, toothy grin. "'And Merry Christmas to me.' "'I think this is everything,' Christine said. "'No, wait, we haven't gotten my mother anything yet.' Uh, "'How about a first-class ticket to the North Pole?' replied Thomas. "'I thought you were shutting up,' said Christine. "'Be nice when we go over to my parents.' "'I'm always nice,' said Thomas. "'But your mother hates me.' "'She doesn't hate you,' said Christine. "'The woman begged you not to marry me,' he replied. "'On our wedding day, in the church.' "'I remember, I remember,' she said. But that was ten years ago. And she still hates me, replied Thomas. I've never been good enough. Well, duh, said Christine jokingly. After all, I am the high princess who settled for a dirty commoner far beneath her station. Thomas swept her up into his arms. Oh, when we get home, I'm going to show you just how dirty this commoner can be. She kissed him and whispered into his ear, who says we're waiting until we get home? What? he asked. She replied, still whispering, You're going to wheel this buggy into the checkout line while I go get the crock pot my mother has been hinting at for six months. Then we're parking somewhere out of the way, and you're fucking my brains out in the back seat like we're horny teenagers. Understood? Yes, ma'am, he replied, taking off at the front of the store like he'd won a timed shopping spree and the clock was almost up. 
Getting everything into the back of the SUV was like playing a high-level game of Tetris. After loading and unloading and reloading, twisting and turning and stacking, the back gate finally closed and latched. Only the wrapping paper rolls remained in the cart, and Christine slid them into the back seat. Thomas pulled off onto the dark, dead-end side road. The wrapping paper was precariously balanced on the mound of presents in the back as Christine balanced herself atop Thomas in the back seat. Eventually, as the SUV began to rock, the rolls of paper toppled onto them in a shower of silver bells, red-nosed reindeer, green wreaths, and white snowmen. Jeffrey, eight years of age, and his brother Michael, also eight years of age, although he claimed eldest by 17 minutes, scooped the final two handfuls of snow onto the ball of the snowman's head. Michael took two shiny semicircular rocks he had dug from beneath the snow atop the driveway and pressed them into the head. Jeffrey shoved a pilfered from the fridge carrot just below them. You think Santa will bring us some new games? Jeffrey asked his brother. Polly Jenkins says Santa isn't real, replied Michael. Polly Jenkins can't even tie his own shoes, said Jeffrey. He's real. Mom and Dad say so. Uh, Maybe, said Michael. I'm going to find out. How? asked Jeffrey. Tonight, after Mom and Dad go to bed, began Michael. I'm going to sneak back downstairs. I'm going to wait up and see. You're going to make Santa mad, said Jeffrey. He's not going to leave you anything. We'll see, replied Michael. You'll see, said Jeffrey. I'm not taking the chance. Fine, you big baby, said Michael. I might be a baby, replied Jeffrey, but I'll be a baby with Christmas presents. Boys! The two brothers turned toward the house as the screen door squeaked open, and Christine's voice echoed across the yard. Time to come in. The stockings were hung by the five-brick wall-hanging gas heater with care. The tree lights were on and the cookies and milk were half gone, so it looked like Santa had just been there. Thomas placed the final gift beneath the tree and stepped back. He looked out across the shimmering sea of bright multicolor paper bathed in the dull light of the Christmas tree, smiled as the designs printed on the paper brought back sweet backseat memories. He closed his eyes, imagining the curve of Christine's breasts as they bounced in the dim moonlight. All done? Christine asked quietly, breaking the spell of memory. Just put the last one down. He replied, his voice low to keep from waking Jeffrey and Michael. Let's hit the sack, she said. I'm exhausted and the boys will be up early. No special Christmas present? He asked, making sad puppy eyes. Not tonight, she said. Tomorrow night, after all the madness is over. I'm holding you to that, he said. Michael sat up in bed as he heard his parents' door close. He itched to spring from the bed and rushed down the stairs, but he stopped himself. He looked over at Jeffrey, sound asleep, a thin line of drool creeping from his mouth and dampening his pillow. Michael thought of waking him, but decided against it. Let him believe in stupid old Santa if he wanted. 
Michael waited 15 minutes. He hoped that was long enough to make sure his parents were in bed and maybe even asleep. Then he slipped from his bed and tiptoed across the room. The bedroom door creaked as he opened it, and he grimaced. Michael looked back. Jeffrey was still drooling on his pillow. Michael made his way down the hall, past his parents' room at the top of the stairs. He crept down, praying the stairs would stay silent and not creak. He breathed a sigh of relief as he stepped silently off the final stair and into the living room. He smiled joyfully at the sight of the gifts beneath the tree. They seemed to fill half the room. His eyes scanned across him and then stopped in the middle. Michael did not know why, but his heart beat faster. The air around him seemed to chill, and goose pimples broke out over his skin. It was just a box, and Michael couldn't explain why looking at it the way it did. The box stood out amongst the other gifts, as it was wrapped like no other gift beneath the tree. Where the paper adorning the other gifts were colored bright and mottled, with the hieroglyphs of Christmas time, this paper was jet black, a black so deep it seemed to swallow instead of reflect the dim-colored light cast by the Christmas tree bulbs. The box was about three feet tall, and a red ribbon wrapped around the sides and came together in a bow on top. Michael had never seen a red so, well, red. That was the only way his mind could describe it. He approached the box, his mind blank, but his legs moving just the same, as if it were drawing him to it, as if it wished to swallow him like it sucked up the light. And then it did. Thomas awoke with a jerk. He could have sworn he heard something, something that sounded like one of the boys had been crying out, and then stopped abruptly. He glanced at the clock, 1 a.m., Christine stirred beside him. What's the matter? she mumbled. I think the boys might be up, he said softly. Ready? She replied, still half asleep. Heard something downstairs, he said. All right, she said, shaking the sleep from her mind. Might as well get it over with. I guess, he said, we can always go back to bed. They pulled themselves from beneath their warm covers, slipped on housecoats and slippers, and made their way downstairs. Guess I was wrong, said Thomas. He searched the room with his eyes, but found no trace of the boys. Guess so, said Christine. Wait, what's that? She pointed toward the gifts. Thomas looked at the box. What? he said. It's just a gift. I didn't buy any black wrapping paper, did you? No, he replied. It dawned on him that the present wasn't familiar. He'd placed every gift beneath the tree personally, all except that one. Where'd that come from? He asked. Christine didn't answer. She was approaching the dark gift, her body stiff, arm outstretched, almost as if she were entranced. And then she touched it. Christine squealed as she touched the gift, and Thomas rushed to her side. He stopped in shock. Christine's hand had sunk into the dark paper. She tried to pull it away, but the present pulled back, dragging her arm in as if it were a pit of tar. 
Thomas grabbed his wife and pulled, but the darkness dragged her ever deeper. Then, with an unnatural strength, something on the other side pulled them both into the blackness. Thomas thought it was one of the strangest dreams he'd ever had. Then he opened his eyes and wondered why he was lying in snow. Had he been sleepwalking? Why wasn't he colder? He sat up and wondered if he was still dreaming. Snow covered the ground as far as he could see. That was pretty much all he could see. Darkness surrounded him and stretched into the distance. It's not a dream, you know. A voice from behind him came. Thomas looked toward the voice and then scrambled to his feet to back away from its owner. The man, if the word applied, was short, just maybe five feet tall. He was dressed in a red fur coat with the color of dried blood. It was dirty and ragged and reached to the knee. Brown pants adorned the legs, also dirty, and moth-eaten. Its feet, hands, and face were uncovered, but a pointed red cap sat atop its head, dirty as the rest of the ensemble. It was the face that made Thomas recoil. Its skin was wrinkled and scabrous, the color of old pus. The skin of the hands and feet matched. The lined face had two bloodshot eyes, the pupils dark as soot. Its nose was long and curved to a point as sharp as a razor. The ears were long and pointed. The finger and toenails were long and claw-like. I'm, I'm, I'm still asleep, muttered Thomas. Didn't you hear me? said the creature before him. It's not a dream. Someone's been naughty, very naughty. I can smell your sins. I can taste them in the air. A dream? No, no. Let me prove it to you. Then the creature was gone as if it were never there. The hairs on Thomas' body stood up straight as he felt hot breath on his neck. He screamed as sharp teeth sank into his shoulder and pulled back from his flesh with a wet smack. Still think you're dreaming? Asked the creature, its mouth wet with blood. What do you want? Asked Thomas. Where am I? He gripped his wounded shoulder. You're where all the naughty little boys and girls go, said the creature. You're where they come for their punishment. And oh, what sights I have to show you. The creature laughed at long cackle. A bright light enveloped Thomas, and suddenly he was somewhere else. A car. His car? No, his old car. The one he had in college. His Mustang. Thomas was behind the wheel, foot on the gas. He tried to take it off and hit the brakes, but he couldn't. It was like his foot was welded to the pedal. Nice car, came a voice from the back seat. Thomas looked up to see the creature smiling into the rearview mirror. I've lost my mind, said Thomas. You wish, replied the creature. Lost a lot in this ride, didn't you? Lost your virginity right back here in the back seat. Lost your pocket knife your father gave you between the seats. Never did find it, did you? Funny things like that. So close, but so hard to find. Remember why you ditched this ride, Tommy boy? I, I, no, 
stammered Thomas. Well, maybe this will refresh your memory, said the creature, pointing out the windshield. The kid was twelve years old, riding his bike at night. No reflectors. Thomas screamed and tried in vain to remove his foot from the accelerator as the boy crunched beneath his wheels, and the boy rolled up the hood and across the windshield, spiderwebs of cracks tracing his path. Thomas heard the sickening, wet thunk as the boy impacted the pavement behind him. Not going to stop, asked the creature. Just like back then, huh? Nothing like a good old hit-and-run to make the blood pump. Right, Tommy boy? Tears streamed down his face as Tommy said, No, 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 please. I was just a kid, just a scared kid. It wasn't my fault. I didn't see him. Oh, yeah, said the creature. It wasn't your fault at all. It was all the fault, that bottle of whiskey and that rail of blow that did it, right? Please, begged Thomas as he stared through the windshield. His heart froze as he saw more people in the road. Three people in the distance and rapidly growing closer. He tried to steer away from them, but his hands were trapped as his foot. He screamed as the three people connected with the car. He screamed so loud his voice broke as he recognized them. Jeffrey spun from the side of the car to be left a broken heap on the side of the road. Thomas felt Michael pass beneath the wheels with a wet thump. Christine rolled up the hood and smashed headfirst through the windshield. Her head hung through the hole, blood dripping from her long auburn hair. Thomas squeezed his eyes closed and sobbed. When he opened his eyes again, the car was gone. He now sat at his desk at work. He glanced around at the empty cubicles, almost empty. Someone stood three cubicles down. He knew that cubicle too well. Oh, yes, you do, came the creature's voice. Had Thomas spoken out loud, or had the creature read his mind? At that point, Thomas didn't care. He just wanted the nightmare to end. He looked toward the voice. The creature had changed. The gnarled, yellowish face protruded from the wall, clock hands sticking from the side of the crooked nose. Fleshy numbers surrounded the face. You remember this night, said the creature, this fantasy come true. As the creature spoke, the occupant of the cubicle, three cubicles down, made her way down the aisle. Norma, said Thomas, his voice dry and harsh. Hmm, lovely Norma, said the creature. Do you remember how she tasted, the sound she made? the broken lamp you lied about to get replaced. Norma stood before him, hair red as fire in a body that should have been hot to the touch. She bent and kissed him, just as she had that night when they were the only ones left at the office. But this time it was different. He remembered the kiss as sweet and warm, but this time her tongue forced its way into his mouth. The tongue was slimy and pointed, and didn't stop. He gagged as it slid down his throat further than any human tongue could possibly go. When she finally pulled back, he heaved and coughed. He tried to rise from his chair, but couldn't. Trapped again. 
Norma hiked her skirt up around her waist and lifted herself up onto the desk. Once again, things were a sick caricature of what Thomas remembered. The thin red landing strip of hair above her mound was the same. But that was all. Below it was a gaping, tooth-filled maw. Thomas tried to pull back as not Norma, wrapped her legs over his shoulders and pulled him closer. He screamed again as the teeth ripped into his face, then his neck after they had torn away his jaw. The last sound was a bloody gurgle before the muscles of his heart ruptured. The creature shuddered in near-orgasmic glee. Christine remembered blackness, as snow as far as the eye could see, and then waking up at the clinic, a dream, she told herself. She hadn't told Thomas. She had made the appointment, talked to the professionals, and now here she was, waiting the few hours for the dilator sticks called laminaria to slowly stretch her cervix open. They didn't need another child, she told herself. Thomas would agree. They had always been pro-choice. Then why hadn't she told him? Why indeed, asked the doctor. What? asked Christine, looking at the doctor. She did a double take. This wasn't the doctor who performed her procedure. Performed. Past tense, thought Christine. What's going on? Someone's a liar, said the doctor, pulling down his mask to reveal a yellow, hideous face. That's what's going on now. Who are you? Christine screamed. What do you want? Your husband asked the same, said the creature. Thomas? she asked. What have you done with Thomas? Oh, Thomas is a bit under the weather, said the creature, trying to hold back a vicious laugh. Something he ate. Christine tried to move, but couldn't. She was strapped to the table, her legs up in the stirrups. Please just let me go, or just tell me what you want, please. What do I want? asked the creature. What do I want with my night of freedom? Why, you're already giving me everything I want. Your pain, your fear, your sin. It's all so delicious. Christine had begun to cry. Please, she said. I have children. Please, just let me go. Oh, I know, said the creature. The young ones. Sins so sweet, yet so few. So little time to be naughty. Mostly innocent, like their mother. A few real juicy sins. Not like your husband. He had a couple whoppers. What are you talking about? She asked through tears. Oh, you didn't know, of course, said the creature. Not about the murder. M m murder? Yes. Hit and run, said the creature. Little boy, not much older than your boys. Back in his college days. You were dating then. You remember his Mustang? That night he drove up with a battered and bloody front end? No, she said. That was, was a deer. He had a deer. The creature laughed. No, it said. He ran down a little boy, and then he drove to your house, all weepy and in shock, and told you it was a deer. And do you remember what you did? How you thought it was so sexy that he was all broken up about a deer? No, please, just, she said, please. How does it feel knowing the first time you fucked your would-be husband, he had just killed a little boy? I, Christine started, but her voice broke into a scream. 
as pain ripped through her. And of course, you didn't know about the affair, did you? No clue your husband came home and kissed you after burying his face between another woman's legs. I wonder, did he even shower after bending over the desk and before he bent you over your bed? Christine sobbed as pain racked through her. Well, well, said the creature. Guess it's time we got this baby out of you, eh? Christine screamed again. It felt like something large, something too large to be inside her, was ripping its way out of her. She slumped, sweat-covered, as whatever it was finally left her body. She managed to lift her head as the creature approached, a large blanket-wrapped bundle in his arms. Its dirty nails plucked at the blanket, pulling it aside. Michael's face peeked from the bundle. Christine screamed as she looked at her son, screamed so long her voice broke and died into a near-soundless croak. Michael's face was gaunt, thin and dry, as if all that made the boy alive had been drawn out. His eyes were milky-white orbs. Teeth were visible behind his cracked lips. The gums had pulled away from them, leaving them loose and bloodied. The desiccated jaw moved. Mom, he asked, his voice like rustling leaves. The skin of Michael's face cracked as it moved. Little Mikey here was the first to touch my box, said the creature. I sucked him dry what little there was. A white lie here, a brotherly punch there. Christine tried to speak but could find no words. Hot tears streamed down her cheeks, and her jaw worked up and down, useless. Michael tried to speak again, to ask for her again, but when he did, the cracks in his jaw spread. They stretched out like shattering glass, and Christine finally found another scream as she watched her son wither and crumble to dust. As the last of Michael shifted between the creature's fingers, Christine's mind broke into pieces and blew away. Jeffrey pulled himself out from under his bed covers and hit the floor running. He slid to the stop at the doorway, glanced at his brother's bed empty. He ran down the hall to his parents' room and pushed open the door. Another empty bed. He ran down the stairs, though he knew that he was never ever supposed to run on the stairs. The sun crept through the living room windows, the light dancing off the colored gift wrap. He stopped, searching the room for his family. There was no one, just piles of gifts. He expected noise, laughter, the smell of his parents making breakfast. There was nothing. No smell of coffee and bacon, no sound of a brother's joyous Christmas morn. He looked again at the gifts, two piles on each side of the tree, and in the middle nothing, just a void big enough for a box to be. Jeffrey's heart began to beat hard, fear running up his body. Dad? he called out. Mom? I hope you enjoyed Pretty Paper by author R.D. Smithy, as performed by yours truly. 
I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this holiday-themed episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review in the kind word makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jari channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Jari. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, Remrise, for their support of this show. Go to getremrise.com slash told and take their sleep quiz. Then sign up and you'll get your first week of Remrise free. Just pay shipping. You won't find an offer like this anywhere else. Get your first week of Remrise for free when you sign up at getremrise.com slash told. Getremrise.com slash told. Don't forget to use that URL to let them know that Otis Jiry sent you. Thanks again for giving Remrise a try this month. And don't forget, your support of our sponsors helps support this program. And that means a lot to me. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. <laughs> if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. 
Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> you can live out your master chef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.